Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Great privilege for me. Let's open the Bible to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. And we're going to read a passage from Acts 17. We're going to begin at verse 16. Listen to God's word. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and determined, he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by God's man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this day, O rock and redeemer. Amen. Many, many years ago when uh, my wife and I had our first child, a daughter, we discovered that we had lots of boy names and not so many girl names. In fact, we had no girl names we had agreed on. And in those days before cell phones, what you did to get the word out was the dad took a bunch of quarters and went down into a reception room and put them in the payphone and called people. And I said to my wife, I'm not going to spend all my quarters and call people until we have a name to disclose. She said I pressured her. (laughs) I did. (laughs) 
But finally we agreed and we came up with the name Leah Christine. And 39 years later, she's a mom and a wife and has had to name her children as well. And the cycle goes on and on, right? We get the privilege of naming our children and then our children name their children and so on and so forth. And it probably goes all the way back to the biblical Adam who got to name not only his children, but all the animals. What's in a name? Are names important? Do names and the objects they identify have to match? Shakespeare said a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Is that true? Or are names really particularly matched with different items? Is there power in a name? Some of you know the Harry Potter stories. And in the Harry Potter story, there's a, a villain. And the villain is the one who must not be named. And Harry Potter breaks the silence and names him Voldemort as if to disdain the power associated with his name. And yet we do believe there are powers associated with names. We open the New Testament, we look at the book of Acts, and we find that Peter and Paul, the chief apostles and preachers in the book of Acts, are captivated by a name. Peter says in a sermon, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. And Paul says to the Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's been given the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ is Lord. So in our faith from the earliest days, we believe not only in a savior, but we believe there's power in his name. In the book of Acts, there's a midpoint, Acts 15. And Peter is the chief preacher up until the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And in Acts 15 at that council, the elders in Jerusalem decide that Gentiles might also come into the faith and that they don't have to become Jews. They don't have to be circumcised. The way is open for them to embrace Jesus as well. And then from Acts 16 on, Paul's the one doing most of the preaching. And in Acts 16, Paul goes to Philippi, and he encounters some opposition. You remember, he's in jail when the Philippian jailer finds that an earthquake has released the prisoners, and the Philippian jailer comes to faith. And then Paul turns, and he's on his missionary journey with Silas, and he goes to Thessalonica, and there the Jews come after him and chase him out of town. And he flees for his life. Then he goes to Berea. And Berea, the people are peaceable and they're interested in the gospel. And he preaches and people come to faith. But some of the Thessalonians have come the 50 miles to Berea to chase him out of town again. So again, he leaves, this time on his own. And he gets on boat probably and goes to Athens. And this passage that we're looking at today is, from Ath is a story of the encounter in Athens in Acts 17. And what happens in Athens? Paul's there by himself. You know, if I were Paul, I would say, you know, time for a vacation. Let's just take a little breather, wait till Silas and Timothy catch up with me. But he doesn't, does he? He starts talking to people in the marketplace, and before long he's preaching, and before long he's talking about a man that God raised from the dead. What happens to Paul in Athens? Three things I'd like you to notice. Number one, 
he looked around the city and he saw a city full of idols. Statues, altars, inscriptions to gods, maybe the Greek pantheon of gods, Zeus and all the gods, and he's distressed. He's, he's upset in his being at all these idols. And again, think about who Paul is. Paul used to be Saul, a Jewish rabbi before he's a Christian. And he's steeped in the Ten Commandments. We just read them. And he knows that you should have no other gods before me, says the Lord. And do not take the Lord's name in vain. And do not make a graven image or an idol. And Paul is steeped in that. And he looks at Athens and he's upset. He's distressed. So what does he do? So he starts talking to people. And he starts preaching and speaking and disputing and debating and trying to say, let me tell you about the one true God. And he finds this inscription on an altar to an unknown God, and he uses that as his, his bridge, his contextual clue into Athens, the Athens of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And he says, let me tell you about this unknown God. You've got it all covered. You've even got an unknown God, so you worship whomever. But let me tell you who that God is. And then, Pete, and then he gives his sermon, and we get a little bit in it from Luke in Acts 17. And he describes God. God is the creator of all. We are his offspring. God is the father of all people. And God is the ruler of all things. And God is the judge. He, he describes God with attributes. I mean, we do that with loved ones, don't we? We have pet names for loved ones, and we describe them. I call my wife dear and cutie pie. Some other things I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I have three daughters. Leah, I call her Law. Charlotte, I call her Shaw. Char. Emily, I call her M. I'm really good at abbreviating. <laughs> and Paul said, let me tell you about my God. And he goes over God's attributes and what God does. What, what do we learn from Paul today? Two things. First, when Paul goes to a new place to share Jesus, he reads the context and says, what, what's going on here and how can I share Jesus? And then secondly, Paul brings this zeal, this passion for God's name that he wants to share. Today we're celebrating World Communion Sunday. We're realizing that we're part of a bigger body, that the church has been planted all over the world. There are Christians in every nation, I'm sure, but they are not Christians in every people group. In Presbyterian Frontier Fellowship, we distinguish between nations and people groups. And if you looked at the, the whole globe, the whole world today, you would be able to see what parts of the world have Christian majorities and where there are Christian minorities. And in the map, the blue is majority Christian. These people say they're Christian. And the other colors are minority Christian. And the green is for Islam. And the magenta in India is for Hinduism. And the orange is Buddhism and so on. And there's that 1040 window where Christianity is a minority religion and among some people groups, no Christian presence at all. We think there are about two and a half billion people who don't know the name of Jesus and have no access. They're not going to hear the gospel unless somebody crosses into their territory, into their ethnic people group, and tells them. Maybe 5,000 people groups 
So the world is divided into about 200 nations, but 11,000 people groups and maybe 4,500 to 5,000, still no church, no Bible, no Christian witness. That's what Paul encountered in Athens. No Bible, no church, no Christian witness. And he said, let me tell you about the one true God. I want to tell you a story about India. About a year ago, in November, I was in India. Your mission and outreach director, Susan Binger, was there too. We kind of crossed paths. We were together for a few days, and then she went her way, and we went our way. And we went mostly in Bihar. That's the little gold country up at the top, the third most populous country in uh, province in India, 100 million people. So a lot of people in Bihar. It's the poorest province or state in India. And we went all around Bihar, and we finally were in a little town of Bodha Gaya. Bodha meaning Buddha Gaya. The city is Gaya, but there's a little town, Bodha Gaya, where the Buddha found enlightenment, according to Buddhist tradition. This is the most holiest place in Buddhism, right here in Bihar, India. I didn't know that. We were there and we went to this temple, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and we saw all these Buddhist pilgrims. And so for me, it was November 11th. What's November 11th? Veterans Day, which I think is a really important holiday. That's in my head. Now I'm in Bodh Gaya, and this is the home of the Buddhist enlightenment. Very important place for Buddhists. And it's also the first day of the holiday in Hinduism called Diwali. So my head is just kind of pounding with Veterans Day, Buddhism, Diwali, and Hinduism. And then we go to a village in the afternoon. It's a Dalit village. Do you know what the Dalits are? They're the untouchables in India. You know, India has a caste system. The very lowest of the caste is the Dalits, the untouchables. So we're in this Dalit village. We drive as far as we can. We get out of the car and we walk. There are four American white people there and we sit in chairs and there are 200 kids on the ground. They've been waiting <clears throat> over an hour for the guests. And then all the parents kind of crowd in behind. And I tell people, if you suffer from cultural claustrophobia, you might not want to go to India. <laughs> we were just surrounded by people. It was very exciting. And MK, our host, an Indian church planter, about 40 years old, bounced up. I mean, he's just bouncing. He had all this energy. And he said, I'm going to tell him my testimony. So we sat there. After 20 minutes, he finished. He turned around. He looked at the three of us, and he pointed to me. <laughs> he said, you're next. I said, okay. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> he said, tell him about Jesus. I said, okay, well, what do they know about Jesus? I'll never forget these words. They know absolutely nothing. I just asked them, if you've ever heard the name of Jesus, raise your hand. And not a single hand went up. And then I said, if you would like to hear the story of Jesus, raise your hand. And they all raised their hands. Tell them about Jesus. And he translated into Hindi. So just pretend you're on the next trip. You're in a Dalit village, and you get that opportunity. You know, for somebody who is part of an organization that believes in frontier mission and taking the gospel to unreached peoples, I mean, hallelujah, what an opportunity. But boy, in the moment, what are you going to say to illiterate, 
Indian children and their parents about Jesus. Here's what I said. I had read Acts 17. I said, because Hinduism has thousands of gods. I said, the one true God who lives in heaven sent his son, Jesus, to earth to tell us about God and his kingdom. And then I did Christmas, and I did Jesus' teaching, and then I did Easter. I just told the story. Wow, what a privilege. There are two million plus people like that who've never heard about Jesus. And we're called to participate in God's mission. We're not all called to go. God's using a lot of non-Western missionaries now, but he's calling some of us to go. He's calling some of us to give. He's calling some of us, maybe all of us, to pray for the world's unreached peoples. And today on World Communion Sunday, when we, we celebrate that we're just a part of the church, that the church in the non-Western world is the majority church and we're now the minority church, isn't that hard to believe? There are more Christians in Asia and Africa and Latin America than in Europe and North America. So they're waxing, we're waning, but we still have a lot to give to God's mission and the building of God's kingdom. We have resources, we have faith. And here's what I wanna leave you with. Do you have zeal for God's name and God's gospel? Because that's what Paul brought. He brought to this context, he brought zeal for God's name. He had just this passion that these people that were worshiping idols were blinded and he was distressed. And so he wanted to bring them good news. And he told them about God. He said, let me tell you about the God you don't know. You have a little altar to him, but let me tell you about his name. And let me tell you about the one he raised from the dead. And let me tell you about his name, Jesus. You know, sometime, go back through the New Testament. This is an interesting study. And look at all the names for Jesus in the New Testament. Names and titles. You know, the first followers of Jesus called him what? Rabbi, teacher. And then after a while, they, Jesus one day said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ah, oh, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but the spirit. Rabbi, Messiah, or Christ. John likes the term logos for Jesus, the word. Paul says Jesus has a name above all names, Lord, <coughs> Rabbi, Messiah, Christ, Word, Lord, Good Shepherd, Alpha and Omega. Takes a lot of names to talk about Jesus, doesn't it? But here's what's interesting. Jesus' name can be translated. For the Jews, it was Rabbi and Messiah. For the Gentile Christians, it became Lord. So God's name is respected and holy, and he allows it to be translated into every language. Do you have a zeal to see Jesus translated into every language and in every people group? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to each one of us and presented your life and your work to us. We now come to the table and thank you for your work on the cross 
to redeem us. Give us your zeal and your passion to carry good news to the rest of the world, to those who have yet to hear. We ask for the power of your spirit in what we say and do. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.